0: And salutations, you are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the commander format, also known as CDH. I'm one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobsorbs, and today I'm joined by my co hosts, Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going, everyone? And special guest, James, aka Squirrel Mob. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, James, why don't you uh, give yourself a brief introduction?
1: Yeah, uh, hi, my name's James, uh, better known as Squirrel Mob in most places. Uh, I've been playing magic for close to 20 years now, uh, playing CDH for about three. And, uh, when I'm not doing this CDH project, uh, I do puzzle testing for possibility storm as well as, uh, running a couple local Facebook groups for EDH play.
0: Nice, nice, nice. Okay. So, uh, before we get into the, um, main topic of the show, which is going to be on the metagame project. Uh, let's jump into housekeeping and new developments and get those out of the way so we can uh, get into the meat and potatoes. So in housekeeping, uh, we cover our new patrons and this week we have a few. So, you know, a couple couple members of the uh, Gitrog server, I guess, is the kind of recent trend for uh, patrons. So. You know, big shout out to Weaver, who is a new patron from the Rock server, uh, to Tanner R, who I guess is pretty new to the Rog server, but is like a, a friend of uh, one of our mods or something. And then, um, uh, and as always, we've been doing for the past uh, several weeks, uh, not Jordan, because he has failed to uh, live up to his end of the bet and he will keep getting called out until he does. Uh, <laughs> and then... I guess Morgan, you can do the non. Yes, non- we also have
2: another new patron, uh, so thank you to Lucas H.
0: for joining us. Yeah, always good to see. I mean, I love seeing you know Frog Server members come on as new patrons, but you know something
2: what? about eggs and baskets. You exactly. Know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. As always, thanks, thanks guys for for being new patrons, and thank you to our uh, current patrons, existing patrons, and you guys rock. No cease and desist from the command zone, please.
2: You
0: rock. Okay. Uh, so new developments. Uh, a couple things here. Uh, Morgan, do you want to? Yeah. How about you? How about you do these? Not
2: really. No. But uh, feels like we can't not talk about this. So uh, there's a, a secret lair and uh, people have opinions.
0: Yeah. Strong opinions. Secret layer, been- Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. Who loves who doesn't love playing commercials in their, uh with magic, you know? You know, next who what's, what's secret layer secret layer commercials Mountain for Dew, a show layer Doritos ending. um nice. yeah. <laughs> not It's
2: not ideal. Um
0: as we're recording
2: this, the RC have officially announced that they are not taking any action. Um they did say they would reconsider after community outcry they'd consider banning them but they've decided not to um oh, there is they- the news i
0: guess actually this would probably have come out by the time we released this but they were so they, they came out definitively that they're not like blanket banning the new secret layer like non magic product i guess um and then but they're going to be looking further into specifically uh negan negan i don't know how to pronounce his name
2: I don't watch The Walking Dead. Yeah, I think it's Negan.
0: Okay, um, he's yeah. awful. Yeah, exactly. They're 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 looking further into um, whether or not they're going to take action on that. So maybe this is news by the time this releases. Maybe not. Okay. So getting into the show, we've got a couple of intro questions laid out here, um, and these are these are all basically kind of like interview style for for James. So I've got I've got the first few, and then uh, Morgan's got the, the next ones. Okay, so keep you're ready, uh, <laughs> how did you get involved with CEDH and the CEDH uh, online community?
1: Yeah, so about uh, January of 2017, I stumbled across the uh, competitive EDH subreddit uh, and just started looking at some of the decks and thought, hey man, these are pretty cool. And it turned out that a couple people in my local game store were also already playing Cedh, so we kind of had our own small little local group that played intermittently uh sometimes there were only two or three of us and we had a couple people who were like well we've got some high power decks so we'll play with you and would get smoked or whatever um and then around december of 2018 so for i had been doing that for about a year uh, uh timmy t1000 actually got a hold of me on facebook and was like hey we were, we're in the area." I'm looking to get CEDH going, uh, do a monthly meetup for the state. And we dove into that. And so he kind of started it and I've taken over since then. So we run a, well, outside of COVID times, we ran a uh, monthly meetup for the state of Michigan to play CEDH. Um, and the online part just kind of spiraled from there, you know, commenting on Reddit and, uh, joining the Nexus eventually actually using discord for once in my life. And, uh, that kind of spiraled out more and to the point where just recently I was one of the new moderators named for the, uh, for the subreddit based on my activities there.
0: Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, Thank you. Um, yeah. Also shout out to, uh, to Timmy T 1000. I know he listens to the, uh, to the podcast, Michigan, the Michigan whole, the, the whole Michigan meetup um, structure, I think is a great model for um, anyone interested in doing, you know, organizing cdh within within their i guess state where yeah. you know things it's, are pretty spread out so it's a great model to it's emulate. worked out
1: really well because we we do have well we did have the the monthly meetups when we were able to do that and we would rotate between two or three different kind of hubs i guess you would call it um but in each of those places there was already a little bit of an inkling of a CEDH group and now all of them have a pretty solid CEDH group and that's not even including probably the biggest CEDH group in the state, which is uh, far enough kind of away from the rest of us
0: that they do their own thing. And that's totally cool. Awesome. So what what decks do you play uh, in CEDH? So I play a lot, um, a lot
1: of different things, which means I'm kind of bad at all of them because I don't have a whole <laughs> lot of practice with any of them. But um, I've played probably the most. Uh, I enjoy uh, the kind of melt banana build of Yidris Storm. Um, mm-hmm. Get Rog. I enjoy having fun with that one, but probably the deck nice. I play the most is uh, Rashmi Control, which is uh, not great, but I really enjoy playing it. So,
0: fair enough. I mean, if you're if you're willing to to put up with the uh, disappointments of Rashmi, then you know that's <laughs> that that's you're, you're about yeah. right. <laughs> um. Awesome. Uh. So, what is the metagame project? What? How, how yeah. do you? How would you describe it?
1: So the metagame project uh started as a response to kind of community outcry um after the printing of Thassa's oracle or rather the spoiling of Thassa's oracle um the rc decided not to ban flash at that point a lot of people were very upset and so i asked myself the question how bad actually is flash because at that point like it had been in my metagame but wasn't oppressive or anything um that changed with Oracle <laughs> a lot. Uh, and so I came up with like a really quick Google form and said, Hey, people, fill this thing out. Tell me you know, what, what the games you're playing look like. And so I've used that form, and it's changed a couple times, um, just to gather basic information from the games that people are playing. And then every once in a while, I take it, I gather it together, and make this write-up and uh, create kind of a snapshot of what things might look like in CDH right now
0: yeah one, one thing that's kind of interesting about the metagame project is it's not I guess the first kind of, like, CDH the CDH community mm-hmm. has dabbled in you know tracking stats and performance of decks in the past um, with the Isperia uh, bot on I think that's run on several servers. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
2: been run on uh, CDH Nexus, PlayDH, and uh, the r slash competitive VDH Discord
0: server. Yeah, so it's, we, but it's the thing with those were, is pretty, um, it was basically just who was in the pod and what deck were they playing and, you know, whether they won. The, one, the great thing about the metagame project is because you have such a, you know, detailed questionnaire... Uh, well, I mean, it's not fully detailed. It's definitely it's, it's, <laughs> it's
1: designed to be user friendly. It isn't always, yeah. but it's designed to be user friendly. So uh, there's only so deep I'm willing to get before it becomes uh, too weighty.
0: Yeah, no, no extensive essays required for <laughs> right. submitting results. Um, but because you're you're good, you're getting a bit more than just that, you know, surface um information from iSpear you're able to get kind of a more interesting picture beyond just um how certain decks are performing, and you know it's been it's been really interesting to uh to see those results yeah um i think okay, that, so oh go ahead <laughs> hold on, go go ahead, go ahead okay I was just going to say
1: i think that uh some of the the information that's not necessarily related to decks is actually some of the more useful information that is gathered by this just based on everything else, because it's the thing that we can kind of control for the most.
0: And this segues perfectly into my uh, next question, which is, what data is collected and why is it important?
1: Yeah, so there are basically three major pieces to it. The first is obviously what decks are being played. Um, so the way I do that is I've got a drop-down menu for players one, two, three, and 4. Uh, decks that are in the drop-down are either... Things that have been historically pretty popular for people to play or things that are on the deck list database and uh, people seem to be actively playing Um, or they can choose other and just kind of fill in what the deck was. And that's tied to the seating. So player one is the player who goes first, player two goes second and so on. Um, And the seating helps us understand, you know, what advantage or disadvantage is there to Going at a certain point in the game In the turn order Um, And the last piece I gather is uh, How long the games actually are lasting Um, So how many turns Does it take for these decks to win
0: Interesting So we'll get more into um, Specifics on how these things have changed over time Or um, Later on But uh, I'll pass pass the mic on to Morgan To get some more uh, cursory questions
2: yeah so uh what do you do for a living is it uh related to data analysis uh only sort of but not
1: really um i am a uh, american history teacher for uh middle school students so uh the data that i analyze in my job is very simply like test data and how students are doing on certain things and not anywhere near as complex as this and that's not to say that this is all that complex at all anyways um but I, I just kind of enjoy doing it. I enjoy being, uh, I guess a glue guy for lack of a better term. Like there was a thing that looked like it needed to be done and I felt that I could do it. And so I did it. Um, and that's kind of how this mostly got started. Um, it's just a way for me to both be helpful and kind of relax while crunching numbers and writing a lot. Uh, and that kind of helps me unwind from things that are
2: completely unrelated to that. Makes sense. Uh, so how has this uh, project shaped your perception or understanding of the CDH meta and uh, how it's evolved and changed over time?
1: Yeah, um, so my first like inkling of like what a meta would look like for CDH happened back when uh, Paradox Engine got banned, actually which is kind of what planted the seed for doing this even before Oracle got printed. Because um, Sheldon asked on, I think, uh, like the MTG Nexus forums or something, what does the meta game look like? And a bunch of people answered. Uh, and it was stuff that I kind of recognized, but didn't rec- recognize it in my own meta all that much. And somebody had said, hey, we- I've got data, which I think was actually from Aspiria at the time. Uh, and I was like, all right, that's interesting. And so since I started gathering the data myself and doing it this way, um, I've gone from thinking that there is sort of a definitive CEDH metagame to sort of thinking that there is, but it's more a patchwork, like almost like a mosaic of smaller localized metagames that sometimes overlap and sometimes really don't. And what you do in your own local meta is far more important than how it matches up to you know, what we see as the whole picture. Um, I don't even think we have the whole picture necessarily.
0: Yeah, I I know personally the way I kind of envision it is that, you know, a lot of it is obviously local metas interacting and, and people deciding that they want to play a deck because it appeals to them or something. And I think the kind of idea of an overarching CDH meta is... Somewhat yeah, it's somewhat true, but it's it's kind of largely informed by um like the overall community and, and how the message gets you know passed along, like oh you know, Thraskers and Timna is tier one and this is the best thing to be doing through content creators, um like you know, podcasts or, or YouTube videos gameplay or online discussions on the subreddit or Discords. Like that's I think kind of informs a bit of the meta choices for people in disparate groups, but it's definitely not uh you know Yeah. I really agree with that. Um,
1: Just thinking about
2: I, I heard that the CDH meta is just dominated by Scion Hermit Druid decks with no interaction, going as fast as possible.
0: Wow! Do we have a time traveler from? (laughs) (laughs) But
2: I mean, Scion Hermit Druid was probably the best deck from like was it 2010 when Necroticus was printed to 2012, and then in 2013. We got all the options from Commander Twenty Thirteen. Um but like I'm pretty sure I heard people talking about Scion Hermit Druid probably at least until like twenty fifteen. Yeah. Even when it like wasn't a deck yeah.
1: anymore. I mean I recall at uh a GP Detroit, it was um Eldrazi Winter, actually. Somebody was playing a Scion deck at one of the, the tables of EDH I was playing at and uh Another player was like, "Oh, I know what you're on. You're you're doing reanimator. You're a CDH deck. You're you're going to go fast." And the dude's just like, "No, these are this is dragons." <laughs> and he was not lying. It was dragons.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Some, how it's just some commanders are completely deceptive. Yeah, <laughs> so like, "Oh my god, Varal, you must be doing Varal's Hulk," you know, and then someone just, you know, entombs a no, death shadow like, or something. Scavenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like there's a Virals few things Voltron like that. Deck. There's like
1: uh, a handful where it's like oh that doesn't really seem like it should be anything and it's just like oh no you're like the thing like wait a wilford brimley me there
0: <laughs> um okay so let's get into <laughs> you know i guess the more details of the metagame project um so first point we have here is just what are some key takeaways from the results that you've noticed um metagame diversity what does an average game look like yeah that sort of thing
1: so um I'll start with the average game because that's a little bit easier to discuss. Uh, For the most part, there's been kind of two things that have held pretty constant. Um, The first is that the player going first, uh, which this probably will not sound like news to anybody, but the player going first uh, has won an outsized share of games. Um, By what range more games than we would expect they win has changed from week to week or month to month. Um, But it's well above, like, in a perfect world it'd be 25% across all four seats, and it's not that. I, I don't think it's dropped below a 30% win rate for the first player in any of these uh, check-in points. So that's one thing that we see, is that the player going first really seems to have some sort of advantage. Uh, the other thing is, with turn uh, length, game length, we see that, uh, for the most part, since this the inception of this way back when Flash and Oracle were still together, uh, the modal turn on which games have ended has been either turn six or turn seven. Uh, right now, I've got them combined. In the future, I'm going to separate them to get a little more granular with it, but uh, we see that that seems to be when turn when games are really hitting the uh, the threshold of when things are going to end more or less by this point, uh, like 70% of the time. Uh-oh. One thing that's I've noticed in the last month or two has been a little bit of an uptick in speed, though. Uh, more games ending on turn three, turn four, and turn five, uh, and I think that's my my speculation is that that's a response to uh, Underworld Breach becoming more popular, and with it, Dockside into like Ad Nauseum and things like that. So some more fast decks kind of approaching the meta uh, than before. Uh, that being said. With diversity, it's all over the place. I mean, there's a few decks that have consistently been very popular. Uh, Kess, Gitrog, First Sliver, uh, Najeela. Uh, unsurprisingly, things that like we would think of as, you know, you go into a room, you ask for a CDH game. You might expect for any of these to be at the table. Uh, Timna and Thrasios, that's another one that's pretty consistently been up there. Um, and those decks eat up a lot of the different games that are submitted. But there's lots of other stuff. Um, is pretty popular. Uh, Kinnan has risen a lot since it got printed. Uh, we see different forms of Thracius Timna. so there's different kind of styles of it that people are playing. Kenrith decks, Golos decks, all sorts of stuff. Um, in the last update, I believe we had a total of uh, 213 Seven. different decks that were submitted uh, as Jesus. of... Uh, This would have been as of April, or since April. uh, And of those, nearly half of them won at least one game, which is pretty, I I would say, fairly healthy in terms of decks are at least showing up and competing. Maybe they're not the best, but they can hold their own.
2: Well, I think also the other good indicator is that we have 741 games recorded, and Kess is the most played deck at 174 Games, which means that it's six percent of the meta, yeah. Like, and that's the most popular deck being submitted here. Well, it looks so a lot healthier
0: than uh standard right now. <laughs> 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 uh, Rip, I saw a top 32 result where I think there was only one non omnath deck, so I mean, they're you know, both four, all four color considered, doing pretty good, but yeah,
1: I, I think the, the diversity has been pretty good. Um like in the first the first iteration of the uh project i ran st- uh, a little bit more detailed analysis on anything that was more than um that showed up in more than 5% of pods and in april i decided i got to update the 10% because there were like 25 or 26 different decks that hit 5 and i'm like that's that's too much work for me. i gotta I gotta <laughs> chill. <laughs> I gotta chill on that a little bit. So um, but we still see that. like we see a lot of decks kind of hit that five percent range and stuff that you might not expect, like Brawlin and Shabraz has remained fairly popular. Uh, Kazur and Ukima., uh, that seems to be a deck that people have really enjoyed playing. Um, san has been above that ten percent range pretty much the entire time, um, for better or for worse. So it's, it's pretty nice to see like a lot of different things that people are trying out.
0: Nice. All right. Yeah.
2: So, uh, we, we sort of went over the, the generals. What were some of the most, uh, interesting or unexpected results that you saw? Like, did you see any standout decks in terms of occurrence or performance or odd matchups?
1: Yeah, there's a few here and there that are pretty interesting. Um, the, different, the, the kind of differences between some of the decks that use the same generals uh, kind of stand out as interesting to me. So, uh, like, Blue Farm is a little bit over 25% win rate, uh, and Opus Thief is a little bit under, but they're pretty close to each other, which I thought was pretty interesting because they're fairly disparate play styles from what I can tell, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, another one that really has been mildly interesting to me that's kind of risen in popularity and has been pretty consistently in that 25 to 28 percent range uh, is Silvala Brostorm, um, which is a deck that uh, in my own local meta, we kind of joke about it being like, Mulligan, do you win or you die? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting to see that the people are having a pretty decent amount of success with it in certain other metas. Um, Urza not being as, as strong as as we might expect, stands out as a little odd. Um, It only, as of the most recent update, only had about a 17% win rate, which being arguably the best mono-blue deck in the format, with blue being arguably the best color, you you might think that it would stand out a little more, um, and it really doesn't seem to be doing that.
0: Has, has that been a trend since um, you started tracking or is this kind of just been recent? Cause I know um, commander reliance uh, decks can definitely suffer under uh, Drannith.
1: Yeah. Um, it's been more recent, but with all of these, the the trends are usually not sustained for more than one or two updates. So uh, let me give you an example of that. In the most recent update, Elsha shot up uh, quite a bit in the amount that it was played um in popularity and its win rate went up a little bit too. Um and so for a long time it was kind of down there around that 10% showing up in about 10% of pods that were submitted uh and now it's kind of shot up a bit above that to about 13 or 14%. Um and has like a 25% win rate and it was like 21 last month. So somebody played a bunch of games with Elsha and that's fine. That's totally great. Uh, but it kind of underscores the point that even necessarily week to week, we can see, or month to month, we can see pretty big shifts in both the popularity of a deck as well as the win rate, which is kind of why those uh, those decks that kind of consistently are both doing well and very popular, uh, the Gitrog, uh Kess, First Sliver, uh, they kind of stand out. As sort of the exceptions to the rule, they're both very popular, and almost all of them are within the realm of what we would expect a win rate to be
2: so um one of the interesting uh, decks that doesn't actually appear as much in this uh, in these results is Zer, which has historically been a very strong deck. Um, do you have any thoughts on why it might be that we're not seeing
1: yeah. Um, a non-zero factor in Xur could be that kind of magistrate effect, where it's a it's a commander reliant uh, deck that's not necessarily always the fastest. Um, another issue might could or might boil down to uh, my own way of uh, dealing with classification, because Zer uh, has gone through a few different iterations of what it looks like. Uh, in the drop-down menu for the easy-to-select decks, I still have Shimmer Zur as the deck that people can select. Um, but Consultation Zur has actually been submitted more than Shimmer Zur, despite being a deck that people would have to type in. Um, and then there's a couple other variants of Zer, which, realistically, they might all be pretty close to the same deck. Um, and so while people are submitting them as slightly different things, I'm classifying them as slightly different things, and that might be not as accurate as it needs to be which is one of the potential pitfalls of doing it this way
0: okay. um
2: i i think also one of the other sort of personal takes i have on Zer is that uh it's it's not like super well it's still a fine deck it's not super well positioned now but it's also like you get no points for playing it you know, like, no one's like, oh, man, I'm going to build Xur, and it's going to be, like, a cool deck, it's going to be different, it's going to be unique, it's going to be fun, like, none of those things. Yeah, and I feel... So like, then it's like, it's like, oh, you built that really strong commander who's been around forever, huh? Uh-huh. Wow. I feel like there's
1: a reasonable number of people on Xur who have been on Xur for a long time, and it's not necessarily attracting all that many new players either. Um, Probably. Like, I built a Xur deck during Flash, Hulk, Winter... Uh, just to see if I could build something that could fight it. Uh, spoiler alert, it couldn't. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't know that there's that many people experimenting with it right now either, because it's kind of uh, a list that's been built and refined and tuned for so long that uh, it would take something really off the wall to kind of shake up sort of established practice with it, uh, is kind of my feeling.
0: Yeah, someone who's played Zer, um a decent amount, you know, the Things have definitely homogenized since Das's Oracle. Uh, Whereas before, you know, when you were doing Shimmer stuff, there was like, Oh, how are you gonna do, are you gonna lean more into Shimmer? Um, You know, people doing doomsday, you know, more stacks. Whereas, you know, these days, it's just pretty obvious that consult is the thing to be doing. So, you know, things kind of consolidate around that. Uh, One, one question I had, um, in, in terms of like unexpected results, so you mentioned earlier that game length going to um, six or seven turns being kind of like where most games are ending. This kind of goes against what I would say like the, the pervasive narrative for CDH has been. Um, Do you want to, I guess, comment on that? And then one also thing I want to, uh, to kind of tack onto that is that, is there any decks that you've noticed have a um, particular proclivity to like increase in their win rate? Um, as the game goes on or, or they? is it kind of like same similar between all decks
1: yeah so um in terms of like we have the this idea that cedh is a turn three format right that's what we hear a lot of the time and even though the the modal turn that games are ending is like six or seven i don't necessarily think that disproves that notion actually um because if we take all the the win rate or the rate at which games end on the different turns more than half of them are ending on turn six or seven or earlier like 70 percent or so and around that time or faster so uh what we see with that is that turn three area uh maybe it's not important that you necessarily win that turn uh, but it's important that you be able to impact the board or the stack or threaten to win or do something you have to be able to be in the game by that point um which i do think even though it's a little bit of a a truism i think it's honestly fairly accurate that you know if you're not already doing something more than just land go by turn two or turn three then you're probably not really You've either got a really crappy hand or you're not really up to snuff with what everybody else at the pot is doing. Uh in terms of decks that do better the longer they go, uh there are some discrepancies between different decks that go that do better faster or do better later in the game. Um one that kind of stands out is like, for example, uh Elsha. Uh, seems to do pretty well uh, sort of both early and late, which is kind of interesting. So it's like got a really good, a pretty good win rate at the beginning and a pretty good win rate as the game goes longer, but dips a little bit in the middle. Um, we also see uh, first sliver is really interesting. So uh, the longer its games go, the worse it kind of seems to do, uh, but it does really well earlier on in the game. Um,
0: Makes sense. No value engine in the command zone. Right. But obviously, great win con. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And um, the one that kind of stands out as the weirdest, um, although not uh, maybe honestly not that weird, uh, is Timna and Thrasios, right? So we would think that you put Thrasios in the command zone, you spice him up with maybe... A little bit of, you know, Seedborn Muse or Training Grounds or whatever your particular flavor of TNT is. Um, we see that it does really poorly uh, early on. Like, it's play. it was in, like, 65 games that ended uh, before, like, turn 5 and only won 6 of those games. So, like, that's about 9%. Not great. And then in games that went really longer, like past turn seven, it only won about 18%. But in that mid-range spot, which is, again, unsurprising, it really won quite a few games and did quite better in that range, which is interesting because you would think that with a deck like that, the longer the game would go, it would go from, you know, maybe not great in the early game to pretty good in the mid game to really excellent late
2: game. But it doesn't really match up with that all that
1: well. Yeah, that's well, really I,
2: interesting. I wonder if that's because, like, it. Like one of the things that's sort of hard to to factor out here, and we'll get into. We have a section on on biases later, but just, um, if things aren't going wrong for Thrasios and Timna, it's reasonably likely that they'll kill you on like turn six, seven, or eight. Um, like, they'll have accrued a substantial amount of card advantage through their commanders, and then it's like, okay, now I can kill you. Um, so, the fact that the game is going past that length might be an indicator that something bad happened to them. You know, they stumbled on lands and they couldn't get their Thrasios online, or, you know, maybe they tried to go for a win and then they got stopped and were just left with, like, nothing, um... So that's like, there's a kind of, it's not exactly a survivorship bias, but like a similar idea where if a deck is trying to kill you on turn seven and it fails to do that, then, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be doing super well. Yeah. And
1: there's, there's a few other decks that kind of fit that same sort of idea too. Like, um... Uh, Corvald. Um, and Korvold's a weird one, because, like, when this project started, uh, Korvold was still very much a food chain deck, whereas now there's, I don't know whether there's consensus whether it should be not a food chain deck or not, but there's been discussion around that question of, like, which way to take it. Should it be food chain? Should it be dockside? Should it be both? Should it be... I don't think neither is an answer there, but, you know, should it be something else? Um, I mean, it should definitely be dark Yeah, side. yeah, right, There's, like, it should definitely <laughs> be side That's, neither is not an ash. No, and Maybe but, it should <laughs>
2: also be Food Gene, but it should definitely be dark Yeah,
1: side. Um, but, like, Corvold is a deck that, for whatever reason, has um, almost 75% of its wins uh, coming before turn five. So, like, it's been in games that have gone longer than turn five, but it hasn't won very many of them. Now, that could be part of the difference in the way that it's been built, uh, it could be some weaknesses the deck has overall, it could be uh, just the decks it's up against happen to be better, who knows. Um, but it's interesting to see kind of some of those places where there are disparities. The weirder thing is, though, that uh, more decks don't have much of a disparity. Um, you know, there, there's some dips here and there. Um, and. In some cases, that might be explained away by even just sample size, because we're not talking about huge numbers here or anything. Um, but, like, Najila seems to be pretty consistent across the board. Kess seems to be fairly consistent across the board. Um, even First Sliver, like, aside from dropping off uh, a bit at the end, like, still isn't horrific in late games. Like, so we have, you know, some of the most popular decks also seem to be ones that sort of either have longevity or in a game or have the ability to win off of just a couple pieces assembled so you know if you get to later in the game and you're top decking you only need one or two things that that can maybe make it easier um i think najeela is a really good example of that i mean you put Najila down and she can win a game by herself if everybody's in top deck mode
0: so you mentioned that the, you notice a trend in the meta speeding up. Is that just relative to you know post-Flash ban, or is this kind of a trend you've noticed since the very beginning?
1: Uh, this has been post-Flash ban. In fact, it's really been the last couple updates. Um, so like Flash was, the, the first couple updates after Flash was banned really matched the updates before Flash was banned pretty closely. Um, games ending about half, before turn six and about half from turn six onwards, um, whereas now it's a little more than half before turn six and a little less than half turn six onwards, which isn't a huge difference, but we're talking three or four percent over about a thousand games in both both instances. So it could be statistical noise, but
2: um, well, it's also it is dragging. The existing sample with it right
1: yeah it is right and that's the thing um it is bringing so we had more like wins on turn four this uh this last update than we had previously um and so there's i've seen a few different uh takes on why that might be the case not talking specifically about this but uh people talking about uh for example the finish meta which is very nauseum centric and, uh, by my understanding, very quick, very fast-paced, and some people following, kind of emulating some of those decks. Um, a lot of pressure to go fast is turning into really powerful Dock sides, which are, you know, powering out really powerful plays much earlier than we might expect. Uh, things like that, um, which there are answers to, and maybe they're not as good as they need to be. I, I don't know. That'd be speculation. But... Um, it's interesting to see kind of that, that interplay of people's perceptions, and then how things kind of mirror those perceptions later on.
0: Mm. And one one more thing before uh, we move on to the next section, and that's, I'm going to get you to, uh, to talk about Tashar, because this is a particular deck that has stood out to me in these uh, reports, where not only is it much more popular than I would have expected coming in and the most recent report at number seven um, in terms of popularity, like very, very high for a mono white deck, um, especially given the reputation mono white has in CDH, but then also have it coming up with a decent win rate as well. Yeah. So you want to, you want to speak to that? on? on sure. Sure. Here. You're going to get me in trouble with the Teshar players. Uh, <laughs> so, Teshar... Oh, oh, Yeah, we should also say the the win rate that it had recently, I, I think it was 44%. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 44 so, out of
1: 100 games. Made the math really easy on that one.
0: So <laughs> um,
1: Teshar is a deck that uh, has been really, from my understanding, has been really heavily tested and built up over time by a handful of individuals who really want the deck to do well. Um and that's great. I mean, that's what brings brewers to this community, and they do great things, and we get new decks from it. Um, and they all are very diligent about posting their games. Uh, but what that's resulted in is a situation where the metas where is getting played a little more often uh, are overrepresented in the numbers overall. So uh, one way that we can kind of see this is the uh this weird little chart i do where i match up the the key decks against each other these decks that have over the 10 percent pod rate uh showing up and we can see there that teshar has fewer games overall against some of those other most popular decks than many of the other most popular decks have against one another um and that kind of is an indicator that teshar's being played in some specific metas where it seems to be doing quite well. Um, but maybe that those individual metas don't mirror what people are seeing in their own, uh, games. And from my own personal experience, um, like I've played Teshar basically since it came out in Dominaria. My build is a little bit different than the guys who are really, really putting a lot of time into it. And admittedly, it's probably worse. Um, but I didn't have anywhere near that level of win rate with it. Um, I think the deck is legitimate. I, I do think it can hang at a CDH table. Um, I think there are some pieces of stacks it folds to that maybe aren't being played as much in certain places um, that could account for some of this. Um, like, I don't know how much Null Rod or uh, Collector Oof they're seeing uh, just because, like, in again, in my experience, um, if I don't have a Path or a Swords, I'm pretty dead to, to Oof. Um, which is not great. Uh, so I think it's largely a remnant of kind of those two factors of both being played by people who are really competent with the deck and are really, uh, trying to make sure they've got the best build possible and being, uh, submitted really regularly so that those games that it shows up, I mean, do I think that we have every Teshar game that's been played since April? No, but I think we have a higher rate of Teshar games out of all the games that Teshar are being played than we do compared to any other deck, um, and I think that affects the numbers somewhat.
0: Interesting. Um, okay, so moving on to the next category, um, what data do you wish you had that you don't collect, or you know maybe it's it's because you don't you don't collect it because it's a it would make it, you know, too cumbersome to uh, to put on the the form. Or is there anything you plan on adding to the form? But or like, if you if you could, you know, ask a genie, what 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 statistics? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's no. It?
1: If I could be like omnipresent and see every single game of CEDH being played everywhere, there's a couple other things I would take into account. Um, mulligans, I think, would be really fascinating to have information on. Um, I think that they probably affect things quite a bit, but without uh adding them into the form would be i think too cumbersome um because you people submitting these forms already have enough to keep track of uh and adding on to that you know how many times did each specific player mulligan uh is a whole other level of uh detail that is going to turn people off from doing in the first place i think that's probably the single biggest piece of information that's missing from this um because i think there's a lot that could be explained by mulligan's
2: uh, yeah, I feel I feel like certainly uh that's the kind of information where like you'd have to go back, you know, at the end of a night of playing games, you could kind of remember it's like, okay, who went first? You know, like the decks I was playing against is not hard. The turn order is like a little bit hard, but pretty doable. But then like you'd go, Oh shoot, I have to ask everyone how many times they mulliganed. Never mind. Like mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um and like similar to that, uh, but again, much more it would be much more detailed and like if we could see how many times people had a turn one uh, mana positive rock, so you know, a crypt or a vault or a soul ring or a mox diamond or whatever, um, that would probably be really infor- really useful information. But again, would be way too much to gather. Um, so I know that like the command zone podcast or video cast or whatever you want to call it uh, has done some statistics episodes. Where they have those kind of statistics, but they go in and actually look at like gameplay video, which is an entirely different beast altogether. So they kind of have that information, uh, but selected from a different sample of people.
0: Yeah. Um, is there anything you plan on adding to the uh, to the form? Yeah, I'm going to keep it as is. You think? So,
1: my plan right now is to to change this. I was going to change it in at the end of October, um, but we just got news today that, uh, unsurprisingly and disappointingly, uh, Commander Legends has been delayed a little bit, uh, so I'm probably going to do two more months with this form as-is, um, and I'm, I've got some good ideas from people on things to consider adding, so uh, things like um, even having a way for people to say, i don't remember the exact turn order or i don't remember the exact turn it ended on might get more people to submit games um possibly having some more uh detailed information like not too much but a little bit to to help focus uh decks when they're submitted as other uh that could be something both useful to me and useful to the readers um and, like I said, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, I'm going to get more granular with the turns. Like, that's a thing I know I'm going to do. Is I'm going to separate turn 6 and turn 7 and turn 8 and turn 9 just to be able to get a little bit more detailed and and dig down a little deeper into those specific pieces. Um, but I'm also open to suggestions if people have them. Um.
0: So, <laughs> one thing I think, um, I mean, am not really necessarily saying this as a suggestion, but kind of like a I don't know, just just throwing, throwing ideas out there. So one thing that would kind of interest me is to see how uh, player skill affects these things and, you know, the popularity of decks. Um, obviously, you know, if a bunch of new players who maybe aren't experienced uh, can maybe affect the win rate um, or maybe, you know, some some decks have just perform much better if you've got you know a really skilled pilot and you know new players do very poorly. Or some decks are just you know pretty even across the board. I think that'd be interesting, and you know you can the, so that's something that you could maybe see if you look at Isperia uh, stats. Um, that's something I've delved into into the past, where you look and you look at uh, breakdowns of individual players how they perform with the decks. So. I take it no no plans for player tracking or anything mm, like that. There
1: isn't currently um, for two reasons. Uh, the first is uh, because these games are are self submitted by people. Uh, they could know potentially how long they've been playing a deck, you know what build they're on, things like that, uh, and could give detailed information about themselves. But especially with how many games are played over webcam or Trice. Um, there's not a great way to know that about your opponents, unless you take, like, five minutes to talk about it at the end of the game, and nobody really wants to do that, I don't think. Um, so that's the, the biggest hurdle, in my, my opinion. Um, the other issue is, um, just respecting people's privacy. Like, I don't necessarily want to keep detailed statistics on individual people, um, even when people submit games now there's an opportunity for them to submit like their Reddit username or their discord tag or like an email address or something, just in case I have questions or want to follow up with them on something. Um, but it's entirely optional because um, just being concerned about not wanting people to think I'm up to anything nefarious. <laughs> I choose to, to err on the side of not kind of collecting that kind of information um, for better sure. or for worse.
0: And any, any uh, ideas that either you, you have or you've heard about, uh, I guess, increasing the the size of the data set by either, you know, getting more people to submit forms from lessening the barrier to entry, um, I, I guess, you know, like an app or something or, or integrating this with like a, a life, yeah. life tracker app I mean, or anything like that?
1: That would be a thing that I think would be hugely beneficial and make everybody's life easier, if it could just, like, have an app where you enter stuff and it automatically tracks it and you don't have to worry about anything else, that would be great. Um, Unfortunately, I do not have tech skills to do that, and I also don't have a lot of extra money to pay somebody to do it for me. So, um, while I would love that to be a thing, and there was an app that somebody was advertising on the subreddit, like, in, like may or april or something where they said like you could you know you can input a metagame and i'm like hey can you input just a general standardized cdh metagame and they're like no you have to have local ones i'm like okay well
0: <laughs> that's that's nice but it doesn't actually do what i want it to do so yeah all right um okay listeners you heard it you heard it here first if uh, any of you have the skills required for to help uh to help squirrel mob with his This project, and you know, you're willing to devote some, I guess, not just devote some, volunteer some time. You know, uh, just reach out.
1: Yeah. And it's, I'm kind of disappointed in myself a little bit because, like, my dad's a computer programmer, but like, I have none of those skills whatsoever. (laughs) So I was like, I can, I can write, I can analyze different things, but man, you put me in front of a computer, I'm like, all right, if it's not Word, I don't
0: know that I can do this. Uh, So, Morgan, why don't you you go ahead with the next section. So what,
2: uh, if any, biases do you think are uh, present in the data, and how should that uh, color our interpretations of the data? And have you thought about ways we could try and correct for them? So things like reporting biases. Yeah. uh, You mentioned your biases Mm -hmm. uh, with regards to which decks you gave people the choice of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Uh, I think there's, like, two or three big ones. Um, I think probably the biggest single one is reporting biases, like you mentioned. Um, because this is self-submitted data from people playing games, um, there's no real like control group here. There's no real way to say you know somebody's necessarily submitting in good faith or bad faith. Um, I just kind of have to cross my fingers and hope that nobody's trying to milk the numbers. Um, I don't have reason to suspect that anyone is mind you, but um, some of the numbers lead people to make those accusations anyways, which isn't great. So that's just sort of uh, the price of doing business in this way, I guess, because I don't know that there's a more convenient or uh, widespread way to gather data. Uh, Obviously, there's the bots, but they get slightly different things, and they only cover people playing on those discords. Um, and like if we had it attached to an app, you know, anybody using the app could use it, but uh, it might not get people who don't do that, who are using spell table, which keeps track of your life for you instead. Um, so the Google form, you know, the benefit is it's a little, it's a universal platform, I guess. But uh, with that comes the danger of It's only as good as the numbers and data and information that people are submitting. And hopefully any of those kind of baked in individual biases are coming out in the wash. But I don't know that that's the case either.
2: So one of the uh, one of the interesting things that I I remember uh, we talked about this a while ago and you added the um, which player is submitting this pod. uh, Yeah. Option to the form. So I went through and since you added that, which was uh, a, couple of about updates half th- yeah. a couple of days ago, looks like it was around 60% of the data from before that, but in the 40% after, uh, the person who submitted uh, and the person who won were the same person in 46% of games.
1: Right. And that's definitely which, a thing where we might be seeing people submitting their best games. Um There's also a few groups I know where people have a specific person who submits, um, which might not necessarily be tracked across the person reporting because they might be seat one one game and seat three the next game. Um, But some of that shows up in the people who choose to respond with a username. So there's a lot of usernames I see that are submitted you know six seven eight different times like in chunks of two or three at a time where it's like okay this is a person who submits for whatever games they're playing um and those can both lead to to those sorts of biases as well um both in terms of like am i submitting my best games only because that's not great uh it's not perfect or it could lead to the issue where we have that oversaturation of certain metagames if there's a couple people who really um do this every time they play, and they play with the same people repeatedly, then those people get overrepresented overrepresented relative to the size of the player base at large.
2: Yeah, and certainly it doesn't even have to be like deliberately. Uh, you know, we don't we don't have to accuse anyone of yeah, no. acting in bad faith or trying to only you know put in games that they win. But I mean, I'd imagine that in some metas, uh, an easy way. F- you know, it's like, oh, let's all submit them, submit our games, and then just like, oh, the winner will submit the game. Right. Um, And then probably some people are more, and some people are less diligent about that. Um, But also just, I'd imagine that if, in a given metagame, one person is the person submitting the decks, they're probably just more dedicated to CEDH in general, which would, like, be a... You know, there'd be... um, so, like correlated factors yeah for more experience
1: you know better knowledge of what their opponents might be on you know uh and just yeah. investing more time exactly. you know,
2: like so so that could certainly introduce um some like some of that yeah
1: i mean pilot skill is definitely a thing that is um at least with this data and the way it's being collected not necessarily something that's easy to control for um And I think probably the deck that is the most... Well, I think there are two decks, actually, that have been submitted a bunch um, that are the most representative of that. Uh, One of them is Inala, where on one of the more recent updates, some of the Inala players, you know, kind of mentioned that it's mostly the the main people developing and working on the deck who are submitting games um, because they're using it for testing information as well, which is great. I mean, that's what it's here for. Awesome. Um, But do I think your average person, your average CDH player off the street could pick up an and be that successful with it? Probably not. Cause it's not that intuitive a deck <laughs> compared to some other ones. Um, and the other is like Golos storm, which has a, still an absurd win rate. Um, but I happen to know that like that absurd win rate comes from a couple people who were, uh, really jamming the deck hard and doing very well with it and then have moved on to something else, which is why it's win rate has been dropping over the last couple updates is, The people playing it since then uh, do not have that same level of pilot
2: skill. Yeah, and I think I think one of the, you know, like I've, you know, people can go back and forth on, uh, is like, is the data biased when when we see results we don't expect? Is it that the data is biased or that our uh, expectations are biased? You know, like particularly, um, I've seen some people talking about. Tishar and saying like, no, this deck is actually uh you know, like this deck is actually like a very strong choice, and you know, I might disagree. I've dabbled with the deck a little bit. I think that looking at it, it doesn't it seems like it doesn't like it's easy to interact with on a lot of axes and the mono white card pool is limited. Like the mm-hmm. the mono anything card pool is limited, yeah but white in particular. Um red as well. But uh like I remain confident that no one's bias is strong enough that if any of these decks with like a 40% win rate were like that was actually indicative of the deck's performance in the hands of an average player, I I'm pretty sure that the community's not that biased that they would sort of bury their heads in the sand and say like, no, yeah. that, you know, that, deck's just not good, even though it's consistently providing almost double the expected.
1: Right. Win-win. And we can look at like a couple of the, like for an all, for example, it's win rate has been consistently high, but we do know that, you know, the people, there are people very skilled with it who are playing it. Um, and so that's why, you know, that kind of helps explain why it's so high. With Tishar, uh, for example, what's interesting to me is that uh, when Heliod was a deck, when Flash Hulk was around, it actually performed a little bit better than we might expect. Now, granted, there were some smaller sample sizes with it, but it was actually in the realm of, like, at or above expectations for quite a while, and then it dropped off the face of the planet. Now... Does that necessarily mean that any mono-white deck could do the same thing? Not necessarily, but there could be some overlap where, all right, mono-white was doing okay, and mono-white is doing well now. Maybe there's more to it than first meets the eye, but at the same time, is it to that degree? And I don't have the answer to that question, but I think it's a
2: very relevant question to ask. That You saying that sort of reminded me, like... I I went back and looked at the last update before the flash ban and Sushi Hulk's win rate, which was a deck that more or less everyone agreed was the best deck in the format um, by a, you know, an appreciable margin had a 40% win rate. Mm -hmm. And so even if if I am unfairly biased against Tishar, which I allow for that possibility, um, I don't think anyone would say that tishar is as good as sushi hulk was yeah and i think the and, and like even enala or like any other deck that's that seems to be overperforming golos right. so, like none of these decks are as good as sushi hulk yeah was. and
1: i think the pilot skill really comes into that too um and i think that impacts some of the more popular decks and certainly with Sushi Hulk probably did as well where you would have pilots who uh they picked up Sushi Hulk because it was the best deck in the format, and maybe they bumbled their way into some losses. Um, I know that the first couple times playing the deck for me, uh, there were some pretty bad sequencing errors I made. Sometimes I overcame them, sometimes I lost because of them. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of some of those most popular decks, where they're played because people know, you know they are CEDH decks, they are accepted upon and agreed upon, And, you know, the the average person playing CDH can play them at, say, a 50% level, but to play, like, Gitrog at, like, that 90% level, you have to be really, really, really good and know the deck inside and out. And most people who are just picking up the deck for the first time because it's popular and they wanted to play it and they wanted to tip their feet into CDH, they're not going to be at that level yet. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think the numbers reflect that some, uh, especially comparing some of the most popular decks to some of these more fringe decks.
2: Man, it, it, it almost makes me wish that we could build... Um, in, a, in a game I play, there's... Uh, these People made these graphs, and it's essentially your overall win rate and how that tracks against your win rate with specific characters... So, like, some of them have really high skill caps where, like, the average player doesn't do very well, but, like, then, like, the best overall players do insanely well, and then some have, like, you know, players who aren't very good still do pretty well with this, um, but, you know, at the top end, like, it doesn't it doesn't improve, yeah. you know, commensurately. Like, the, the benefits of it drop off. Ceilings like, it'd be and really floor. interesting to see that for, for CDH decks, like... You know, some people will say, like, oh, the deck... The basics are easy to learn, but, like, the last 10% is really hard to learn. But, like, how hard is the... this? Is it to get to the 70% mark, you know? Like, yeah. That's... Like,
1: having a, a, a general sense of, like, where a ceiling and a floor is for your average player on any given deck would be amazing. Um, and there's also, like, because this is a multiplayer game, there's a lot of pieces in there that aren't even accounted for. Right? Like... If we're talking about uh, if you're the player going last, uh, it's maybe more important if you are savvy in table politics, right? Uh, but not everybody's good at that. Not everybody uses that. Um, and so there's there's more than just uh, the cards in in the deck and on the table. Uh, there's you know what are you doing for politics? How good's your what what tells are you giving away? How's your sequencing? There there's a lot that is uh really interesting that goes into this and is really hard to capture
0: (laughs) one thing i think that would be you know a potential a potential thing that that you know a bias or, or something that could you know pollute the data a bit is how common decks are built as you know budget right so or, or, like, how much variance there are in lists. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think Gitrog, you know, being a very popular list, you know, and, you know, going through all the deck list, the, the decklist channel in the Gitrog server and seeing, you know, everyone with their different take on Gitrog if they're, you know, new and if they're not playing, like, the standard decklist database list, there, it's it can be quite a lot, but obviously, you know, this is still going to get marked down as a Gitrog list. Yeah, and that... Um, yeah, and, and I, I could see that affecting um, different decks... Uh, you know, differently, mm-hmm. depending on mm-hmm. whether or not there uh, there's much flexibility there. And
1: that definitely is a bias on my part, too. Because, like I mentioned with the Xur, like, probably all the Xur decks in here could realistically be put together. Whereas, you know, Yuriko, maybe I should have two or three different Yuriko builds instead of lumping them all together. Because there's differences in how they're they're built. But That also gets to kind of a fundamental philosophical question that um, has come up in this community... Recently and not so recently within the past years, or whatever we want to look at it, but um, the question of like at what point is a deck a new deck, right? At what point is yeah, this yeah. innovation actually something that moves it beyond what it once was into something that is an entirely new uh device? But I definitely think, yeah, the budget thing is an issue too, and even like suggestions on what to play. I mean how many players get told when they show up like on the subreddit, oh yeah, build Yisan. Yeah, don't do don't
2: build Yisan as a new <laughs> <Not> player. <anymore. laughs> don't do I it. think I think we finally we finally cured yeah. that. Because it's Oh, new player you should build Yisan. I think we finally dealt with that. Don't get me wrong,
1: like I'm guilty as charged too because when people would ask for like what's a budget deck I can build? I'm like, all right, you can build Yisan budget wise, but like Having played a budget use on list for a while, you have to really know what you are playing against to do well with the deck. Um,
0: yeah, the, it's, it's so it's, it's so, so perverse. Yeah, yeah, you
2: you either have to really know what you're doing or really hate yourself.
1: <laughs> it's it's one of those decks that like requires because there are so many decision trees to make like every turn that the deck is built around. It's. It's a lot more complex than people I think give it credit for because it's a mono green deck. Um, I mean, even like compared to say Silvala Brostorm. Not to hate on Brostorm, like it's still it's again a completely viable and legitimate C E D H deck and arguably better than Yisan, but I think that the average C E D H player can play Brostorm much more intuitively than they can play Yisan.
0: Yeah. yeah, well. I think the- requires knowledge of your deck whereas Yasan requires knowledge of everyone's stack. Right.
2: Yeah, Yasan's in a weird spot because you have incredible access to a very limited toolset. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fair way to put it. You've got so you have to know it's like exactly what you can do and what you can't. You've got every tool uh, in the bag,
1: but it's not Batman's utility belt. It's like Robin's underwear drawer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, awesome. And so our final uh, topic here is on potential uses for the data. Um, so I know you like to give a disclaimer whenever you post this. Yes, and, I do. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, maybe this is a good time to reiterate that. Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, these numbers are are not intended nor designed nor um, indicative of any sort of truth about anything. Uh, there are issues with these biases we've mentioned. There's issues with sample size. I mean, realistically, I think... I've captured maybe 1% of all CEDH games played since this has been going. Um, I think there's a lot more CEDH out there than I've than any of us have seen. Um, and because of that, I, I think that this project is a way of not defining what the meta is, but questioning what the meta is. Um, and I think other things kind of save, serve the same role. Um, I think the deck, place, deck ba- yeah, the deck database does sort of the same thing where it's a a shot of what might you expect at a CEDH table. And this is kind of similar, just looking at it in a through a different lens. What might you expect at the CDH table? What might happen in that game? When might it end? Um, but nothing here is a stone-cold truth. Uh, that being said, I do think there's some, some things that can be used here. Um, I do think that turn information, knowing that if you're playing C D H like honest-to-goodness, CEDH, and what that is maybe is up for debate, but um, you need to be able to do something by turn two and turn three. Uh, If you're going to sit there and play lands for the first three turns, you're probably not going to be involved in the game, which means A, you're probably not going to have a good time, and B, the other three people you're playing with aren't going to have a good time. And that's kind of what's important, right? Everybody should be on the same page there. The other thing that I think is useful is... Uh, in just kind of addressing if you know your deck well and what you're trying to do, um, just thinking about what other decks, how they might be sequencing their plays based on that. Um, Obviously, this isn't deck lists, but knowing that, you know, is a deck that can be equally a threat at all three points of the game, uh, you know, early, late, and mid, probably you're going to allocate your resources differently against that uh, than, say, a deck like uh, Ukima uh, Kazura Food Chain, which is going hard and fast, and you're probably fairly clear if you stop it once or
0: twice. Cool. Um, Morgan, do you have anything else uh, you want to ask, James?
2: So, so you're saying I should scrap this big rant i was writing to the RCE about how this is <laughs> proof that they're managing the format all wrong is that oh lordy oh, the number of people who have the number of people i have
1: apologized to for other people quoting this as though it's scripture is higher than i would like it to be
2: <laughs> yeah i love that it's like look, this says that I'm right, and then you go to the thing, and it's like, so these conclusions are preliminary, and, you know, there's these biases and those biases that really should be accounted for, but tentatively, we think maybe this, and then someone's waving it in your face, like, yeah. I'm right, I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the one of the things that I think would be interesting to do would be to look at, um, like, pod occurrence win rates. I know you have the matchup charts of, like, losing to deck you know like how often does consultation cast lose to El yeah um but like there's the whole um there there was i remember for a long time there was the meme about blood pod it's like blood pod is a deck that you play to make either the Yisan or the Najila player win <laughs> yeah um i mean that- so like it, it would be interesting to to look through the the like rather than just oh this deck loses to that deck like this deck loses or wins when another deck is in the pod would be an interesting thing to look at it really would be definitely
0: i
1: i definitely have started down that path once or twice and i'm not gonna lie uh after about five minutes of doing it i'm like "Mm, this is a lot more work than i think it's gonna (laughs) be i need to i need to maybe back off for now (laughs) and try this some (laughs) other time gotta gotta run a script that scrapes it or something which again no computer skills that becomes hard to do
0: Fair. <laughs> well i think i think that's it for uh this episode so just you know big big thanks for uh coming onto the the podcast yeah uh, absolutely. this has been very informative and and your delightful delightful guest
1: yeah i appreciate you guys having me on i appreciate the the support for the project uh Spleen especially, uh, Morgan, you've uh, helped out with quite a few things at different points, just helping to kind of hone where I'm pointing things at, and uh, that's been immensely helpful in, uh, in making this actually worth more than a hill of beans. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, so is there anything
0: you want to plug any you know where where can we yeah find i you mean message you and to complain about you know right how my deck isn't you know uh, tier one yeah
1: i mean uh like i said uh on reddit i'm one of the mods of the subreddit so uh hit me up uh at squirrel mob there or uh on twitter i'm at hoff occultist uh i'm bad at managing my online presence <laughs> but uh i'm i'm available there i'm also on discord and uh you can probably find me on facebook if you look not too hard
2: cool, cool. Great. Right. I-, I feel like before you go in lieu of a gut check you should fire off your hottest take about
1: <laughs> oh yeah the results
2: yeah. of the metagame project
1: my hottest take yeah all right uh my hottest take out of this result out of the results of this project um my hottest take out of this project is that most people who want to claim that cdh is uh definitively something haven't found what it is yet um i don't think that there's a great definition for what CEDH actually is if you're naming decks or like anything outside of the mindset of I'm building this way for this particular type of game. If you're saying anything other than that, I think you're wrong.
0: That's my hot take.
2: So, you don't know what the right answer is.
0: Three peppers. You (laughs) don't know what the
2: right answer is, but you know everyone else is wrong?
0: Yeah, that's basically. (laughs) I'm on board. Okay. So that wraps it up for this episode. If you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at Inton North Pod via our email gmail.com or on our Discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. Uh, also in the description for this episode will be the link to the metagame project and the, uh, the, the submission form and the most recent report. Thank you to James for coming on the show and an extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expense for a show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast if you too would like to become a patreon we are at patreon.com slash into podcast another way you can support us is via our tcg player affiliate link uh, so anytime you want to purchase something from tcg player uh, if you use our affiliate link which is in the podcast slash youtube description a portion of your purchase scores goes towards supporting the podcast uh, thank you as always to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music to Nate's Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo and to our long-suffering podcast editor Roadkill next episode will be out in two weeks until then, see ya have a good one bye
2: everybody